Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Shane Douglas Keene and Laurel Hightower. And tonight we're going to be speaking with Ebony Dunbar, the author of Stone and Steel, and Caitlin Starling, who's the author of Yellow Jessamine and The Luminous Dead. Um, and Yellow Jessamine and Stone and Steel both come out on the same day, I believe, from Neon Hemlock, which would be September 5th. So by the time you're listening to this episode, those will both be out for you guys to uh, order. So how are you guys doing today, um, Ebony and Caitlin? I'm doing quite well. This is Ebony. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a fun, uh, fun of who's talking, game of who's talking, I think, for the audience today. Um, <laughs> Yes, you know it's the eve before book release, and I am sad, sadly, and kind of embarrassingly not used to being up and active even at 8 p.m. So <laughs> I feel like I'm extremely old and very sleepy. <laughs> uh, well, we're really excited to have you guys here today, and um, you know we've read uh, both of the books, and I we loved both of them, and um, you know Caitlin. Um, our listeners are already a little bit familiar with you, um, but if you want to give a short introduction, and then Ebony, um, if you want to give kind of a new kid at school speech, you know, for our listeners, just so they can learn a little bit about your work and kind of other projects you're involved in. So, um, like Rich mentioned, I, I'm also the author of The Luminous Dead, uh, which came out last year, which if you haven't heard the episode on it or haven't read it, it's... Um, Traumatized angry lesbians in caves is usually how it gets. <laughs> this is a quick version great. of selling it. Um, <laughs> and I also this year got to write for Vampire the Masquerade, which was sort of a wild ride. Um, and that's out as part of an audiobook collection called Walk Among Us. Um, my thing in there is you know, it's set in contemporary, right? Well, not right now, but Portland, Oregon, because I wrote it last winter. Uh, some things have changed. But um, generally speaking, modern day Portland. Um, on a commune up by the Portland airport that is just, you know, happens to be run by vampires. And um, our our lead community manager and farmer is also um, possibly improperly obsessed with a human who has just moved into the commune, and she keeps making increasingly bad decisions because of it. <laughs> so continuing a theme in my, in my work. <laughs> bad decisions, Boogaloo. Um, so... That's me. Uh, but the bad decisions have wonderful results. So, I mean, I think maybe my, not I think my main character in the vampire book <laughs> might, might disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> going to say, it sounds like you're improving Portland for us there. <laughs> adding, adding blood farming to it? Yeah, adding uh, vampires, yes. <laughs> man, I'm oh. always so jealous to hear Caitlin describe things I, I feel like you just know exactly how to say it I, I want to read everything you're talking about <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> um so I obviously have the novella Stone and Steel coming out tomorrow along with Caitlin's Yellow Jessamine and that is essentially about um a general who returns home and discovers the queen she's put on the throne is not the queen she'd planned for and has to decide what to do about that and, you know, sometimes that means that you have to uh, plan a small coup, whether you want to or not. Um, 
aside from writing that, I spend a lot of my time working on FIA Literary Magazine. I'm the managing editor there. Um, so coordinating, reading, trying to make sure that things run smoothly is um, my job all, all day long. <laughs> That's really, you, uh, I saw, some, um, I was reading some about that, I, um, and and it looks like you all have a convention, like a virtual convention coming up. That's right. FIACON is October 17th and 18th. Um, we announced like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I feel like time has no meaning anymore. Uh, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Strongly um, agree. <laughs> yes. The Ignite Awards, um, which will be held then, which is our inaugural um, awards program. It is, uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but it is uh, open to voting from the entire community. So if um, oh. folks are interested, uh, you can get to that from the FIACON website, which I think you can get to from the FIA Literary Magazine website, which is just FIALitMag.com, I think, .org, maybe. Oh, I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we can put it in the show notes. Yeah. Well, that's that that is very exciting. So this is you said this is the inaugural one, so you all have not done this before. That's right. Very yeah. first. Very cool. Um, that is yeah. exciting. It's a uh, .com just for anyone who wants to know. Sorry, I uh, Thank you. <laughs> I, I go there frequently because it's also um fucking awesome. Um also no swearing on our podcast. <laughs> well, keep my potty mouth to a minimum. Sorry. Got it. I, for, I forgot to warn you. I, I swear like a trucker. Well, truckers don't swear as much as me. Uh, but no, that that's really exciting. And like Shane, I, I go there pretty frequently, too. So that's kind of cool that you guys are, you know, having like an online con. I mean, it kind I don't know if, was it always planned to be online or were you guys going to do it in the, in person? And then because of, you know, like COVID and stuff, you had to move it online. I think honestly, COVID and um, all the other virtual cons kind of gave us the confidence. We'd had this thought of doing it in in-person um con but that is like super expensive and a ton of logistics to manage um so the virtual space sort of opened it up to happen much sooner than it probably would have otherwise oh that's okay. pretty cool um and is this so i i guess do you want to talk a little bit about fire for for anybody who's not uh familiar oh yeah i sorry i always just assume people know obviously <laughs> Um, yeah, so FIA Literary Magazine started in the uh, winter of 2017. That's the inaugural issue, I guess I should say. It sort of started before that. Um, and it sort of comes out of this tradition of the Harlem Renaissance and FIRE, exclamation point, exclamation point, which was all about creating space for um, Black authors to be in conversation with each other and sort of have a safe space to share their work. Um, and FIA, the um, sort of successor, spiritual successor to that is no different. Um, so it started, started a little bit out of the um, original Black in spec fic report that came from Fireside and just seeing this like lack of representation of Black authors in the space uh, and knowing that um, there were plenty of us around. Uh, so just wanting there to be a space for our work to show and shine. Um, and yeah, now here we are. 
getting ready to put out issue 16, the joy issue. It's very exciting. That is, that's, I mean, that is really, really, uh, that's really cool that you all have, you know, in, in that short of a space of time, really created something like that. That's exciting. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, the, the people that FIA publishes are, none of them are slouches by any means. You're talking very, very, very top level authors and poets, um, extremely talented. So... Yeah, and it's exciting because we get to publish so many, um, like a, a lot of folks are debut um, authors when they're coming into FIA. So that's also exciting that you're seeing this exceptional work uh, that no one has seen before. And we're sort of getting to introduce people to incredible writers. Oh, yeah, that's very rewarding. Well, that's that's very exciting. That's so, um, yeah, that sounds fun. That con sounds excellent. Um. I'm also really interested in, uh, so is Neon Hemlock, is is this, this is a fairly new publisher to you, is that right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Um, I don't actually, Ebony, do you know when, when Dave started it? I think it was, it was a year or two ago specifically yeah. to publish the chapbooks that won the outright um, chapbook, chapbook competition. Contest. Yeah. And then he, you know, he, Dave, the the managing editor and pretty much everything editor, looked at at everything. <laughs> the publisher, he looked at at he he now had these connections of, you know, he had a printer and all this stuff, and he went, you know what, I can publish a lot of really great queer fiction. Um, so he's also pulled together two anthologies now. I think the first wasn't through Neon Hemlock officially. Broken Metropolis wasn't, but um, Glitter and Ashes, which comes out later this month, I believe. Um, yes, the fifteenth. Yes. Um, they have that anthology coming out. They have, of course, the novella series, which both Ebony and I are, are a part of, and another round of chapbooks coming out as well. Very cool. And candles. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Candles. Like, don't get candles. <laughs> candles. <laughs> candles. candles are exciting. They yeah. are. How did that, I mean, so do you all, you all each, I'm sure, have versions of your own candles, right? Mm-hmm. So how did Absolutely. that, how'd that come about? Like, I saw... You know, I mean, I guess, Caitlin, yours, is it kind of based somewhat on the um, herbal uh, elements, uh, uh, you know, of the book? Is it is it based on yellow jessamine or? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. You know, I'm a sucker for candles, so I think that's utterly brilliant marketing. You and me both. I, I swear I have each of them. I, have, I think I have them all. <laughs> <laughs> My understanding is that the the candle maker is uh, is Dave's husband. Oh, cool! Runs a really cool um, black and queer focused candle company. Um, works with a bunch of not just Neon Hemlock but a couple other businesses to create themed candles and other uh, scented objects. Oh man, I love that! Yeah, he's at neonapothecary.com. What was it again? I'm sorry. Neon Apothecary. Neon Apothecary. Okay, very cool. Oh, God, my poor credit card. But you know what? I don't care. I, re- I regret nothing. <laughs> you're you're getting points. You're gaining points. That's the way to think about it. Laurel, Laurel will have candles before the night's over, guaranteed. Yeah. Yes, there's a strong possibility of that. But, but I mean, I, I that is one of the things I really, really love about, you know, in particular, kind of like the online community, the ability to find a network and... Um, you know, give business towards and be mutually uh, successful, you know, in incorporating 
those sorts of, of, of businesses that are, you know, small businesses and, and connected to it. I just think that's super cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, the cover artists that Dave has, you know, Dave managed to line up for all the novellas and, and everything he's done really are just, you know, phenomenal. All the art is completely custom. None of it's cobbled together from, you know, not, I obviously love stock images, very useful right. for many things, but it's just super special to have something that's illustrated just for your book and based on your book. Um, my cover was done by uh, the artist's name is Robin Ha, and just the amount of detail work that she put in there is just beautiful. Yeah, it is. Um, yes. both, both books, Caitlin's too, they're just absolutely stunning um, in their presentation and their layout. If, yeah. Evan, what's the what's the name of the artist for yours? I always forget. Um, they are Odera Igbokwe, and I know I'm mispronouncing that, but it, it's a really beautiful cover that is hand painted, which is the other really amazing thing. I love the idea that um, they have this painting sitting of of Aaliyah somewhere. I love that. Is that so? How um, did you did you give a lot of input into how she would look, or was that you know, when you saw, did it, did it really line up with how you had pictured your character? Yeah. I mean, so Dave sort of led the, um, the drive on getting the covers together. I think he essentially gave Odera the sort of basic idea and this like sort of description. And then together we looked at like, okay, how, how is she sitting on the cover? What, what, sort of poses could there be um and got to give input along the way but it's such it's such incredible work I feel like I had no hands in this <laughs> even <laughs> though the novella is mine the work this painting is just stunning I love it I I really love it because it just gives such a um and just an uh an impression of power which is exactly what Aaliyah I feel like puts forward Yeah, and um, I, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about, um, and I think we might have uh, spoke to Caitlin a little bit about it um, the last time we had her on, but kind of how did you guys, um, you know, come to work with Neon Hemlock? Because um, I remember around when they announced their novella, novella series, and it was it was really cool. Um, all four of the books sound really great. Um, I haven't read uh, Cradle and Grave by Anya yet or Queens of Noise by Lee, but um, both of those are high on my list. And I was just kind of curious how, you know, you guys kind of got to work with Neon Hemlock and maybe, you know, how you got to be among the first authors, you know, outside of like the anthologies that they've done to be published there. Go ahead, Kaylin. <laughs> well, so there was, um, there was an, they had an open call uh, specifically for novellas. And um, in my case, I had written Yellow Jessamine a while back and I had, you know, my agent had been trying to, to place it with places and no one really wanted it. We had, you know, a couple almost bites, but, but no one really grabbed on it. And I was like, you know what? I know Dave. I would love to work with him let's do it. And, you know, he read it, really liked it, picked it up and here we are. Um, and I, they're doing another call right now. Currently it is only open to, to black authors, I believe. Is it black or 
or wider than that. No, I think it's I think it's just black writers right now, and then yeah. on the fifteenth of this month it'll yeah. open more widely. Yeah, for a for a small period of time it'll be open more widely, but they he carved out some space there. Um, and then yeah, what was your experience, Ebony? Yeah, I actually so originally I had sent this to Tor um, for one of their open calls, and then. Um, a while later I decided like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let it sit and languish. Uh, that open call came from Neon Hemlock and I figured why not? Um, so I pulled it from tour and sent it over, um, to the Neon Hemlock call and I had similar story, right? Dave read it and liked it and I was very happy, um, to work with him. It sounds like an awesome company to work with. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, super. It's it's very you know like I said, Dave does almost everything, <laughs> and he's he makes himself extremely available, and he wants to get it right the first time. Um, and part of that is just a consequence of it being a small publisher. You know, you kind of have to get it right the first time. Um, so, you know, like a, like we mentioned before, he put, put so much work into finding the right artists and really planning with us what the covers you know, getting, getting our input on the covers at all stages so that we were happy with how it turned out. And, you know, I was in contact with him for the layout, you know, the font choice of the book and everything else, you know, and I had some input like that on the Luminous Dead, but because it was such a big, bigger publisher, you know, they had their, their specific marketing plan and I wasn't always told about it <laughs> or told about all of the details. And in contrast, you know, I've been looped in on every single decision um and you know idea that davis had to to put the book forward which has been really fun and it's really cool too because it kind of really makes it like a lot more uh personal of a journey for the author going about it that way and it also shows him to have an incredible dedication to his own job and to the authors that he's publishing Yeah, I, 100%. I um, don't have the, the pleasure of having published anything else. So this has been my really, like, first experience working with a publisher or not in, like, the short fiction sort of conversation. And it's been such an incredible experience. I feel like uh, if I get something traditionally published, I'm not going to be anywhere near as happy because there's, <laughs> yeah, nothing, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing better than, like, one human being who is so dedicated and excited about your work and like knowing, okay, I have a question and I'm going to ask Dave and I may feel like this is a silly question, but he never treats it that way. It's like just amazing. Nice. Absolutely. That, that level of responsiveness and just the, I'm, I'm in the same boat, Ebony, I've not dealt with, you know, a, a larger uh, publisher like that, but I really do like the sort of like one-on-one -on -one and feeling like you're very involved in it. Um, so that's that's really cool. Just kind of watching the launches as this has gone forward has been very cool. Yeah. Um, and do you all want to talk at all about uh, the launch party that you all have going on uh, tomorrow? Yeah, yeah it's although, very exciting. <laughs> so <laughs> go ahead. Those, are, are your listeners going to be able to attend it or is this going to come out after the party's over? It'll come out after, but I would I was thinking about that earlier. Um, I would say that, you know, when we kind of tweet tonight uh, with our sum up of it, I think we should retweet the information that you all have about the party. Yeah, oh, sounds great. Yeah, we're yeah. it's it's going to be a, a wild and crazy time, I think. Um, so 
So we are doing this party via Zoom and we're doing it in a way that I first saw um, the Nebulous Conference do, which is that they use Zoom and they utilize the breakout rooms in it. And um, they give everyone co-host power, which means that if the, once you get put into a breakout room by the host for the first time, you can freely move about as you wish. So you can have, you know, themed rooms that people can opt into. Um, and in our case, you know, I think... If, I think the plan is that the first bit is going to be all together. There's going to be readings, which are going to be performed by actors in costume, apparently. <laughs> Dave, has, Dave has recruited some actor friends of his into this. Um, and then afterwards, there will be there's going to be a bartender who can help you make cocktails and mocktails based on whatever you have in your in your personal home bar slash kitchen. Um, Robin Ha, my cover artist, will be there taking commissions and doing like live stream sketches. Um, and I, was there anything there's, there might, there's talk of maybe having party games. Maybe games. There maybe. may be Jackbox games. Q and A. If people are feeling the vibe. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes and like how many people are there and what the mood is. Did you say Robin Hobb? Ha, H-A. Oh, okay. I'm cool. Not the author. <laughs> She that would be amazing. So casually, like, Robin Ha yeah. is an author. Robin Ha has a has um a graphic novel about Korean cooking out that I'm blanking the name of, and also a graphic novel memoir called um I'm blanking on it. I'm gonna look this up so I get it right. <laughs> um, almost American Girl, huh. which has been racking up some of cool award, nom- award nominations this year as well. That's awesome. I love the idea of a graphic novel memoir. I don't think I've seen that done before. No, I haven't either. Yeah, me either. I um, I didn't really know it was kind of a thing until I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, that Netflix show Easy. But I got obsessed with that, and there's a character in there who he kind of does that. And that was the first time I had been exposed to that sort of thing. Have you guys checked it out, or the not yeah. the, necessarily the show, but uh, the book? I don't think I've heard of that one before, but I've definitely seen. I'm blanking on any names, but I think I've seen like one or two of those. Like I'm thinking about. Um, Leslie, oh, Leslie something with an S, um, who was writing all about her experience in, I think it's Beirut, but I'm probably wrong. Um, but like that memoir graphic novel style is just so cool. It makes me wish I was an artist in some way. Yeah, definitely. It seems like a pretty cool, a pretty cool uh, format to work in. But yeah, the the whole I I didn't even know that was a possibility with Zoom to have those kind of like, uh, just I guess those are like separate chats, like when you and you can just move around within them. Is yeah. That, okay. That's yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. The, like I said, the Nebulous Conference used it to do their um, their social area for the conference, and um, I ran the mentorship program, and we used to we didn't have the the free moving around. Um, aspect of it as much, but we use the breakout rooms to do some pretty cool things for the mentorship program to let people, um, you know, have some privacy for those conversations. 
I love that. That's I mean, that's just so cool, because, again, you know, one of the things, of course, that we keep running into is is people changing their you know, their, their outlook and their game as far as like the launches and things like that. And that's, I mean, this is, that's probably the most advanced one I've heard of. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it it requires having, you know, moderators on hand, obviously. I mean, everything that you're do that you do with the public facing, you need, uh, virtual bouncers for, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it's when it, when it works, it works really smoothly. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that we're going to have a good time tomorrow night. Very cool. Do we want to talk about the books? We've been talking yes. so much about the background of the books that I. <laughs> I was just gonna. <laughs> I was gonna say. Um. So yeah, give us uh as much of a. I think you already kind of synopsized it, but Ebony, give us a, as much of a. Um, synopsis as you want to give without spoiling the hell out of your book. Um, <laughs> and then you, Caitlin. Yeah, I still feel like I I never know what's a spoiler and what's not a spoiler. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I can say. But um, like I said earlier, Aaliyah, who is the main character, um, comes home after like continuing to conquer uh, the country for her sister and lover, Odessa. Um, and she sort of discovers that even though she thought she was leaving um, Odessa to create a better world for the poor and the sick and the hungry, um, which they sort of grew up as themselves, she's actually just been sort of a continuation of the old king, slightly less bloody perhaps, but um, still not taking care of people the way she would have expected, and she sort of has to figure out very quickly, like, do I go with the status quo or do I make some sort of change? And it's basically a, a reluctant leadership story. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Um, that's, uh, it is a very, 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 very well written uh, reluctant leader story. Um, that's, some, that's something I was going to say to both of you. Um, actually, yeah, I've read like a ton of surprising to me um, transgressive fantasy and, you know, otherwise, you know, different types of fantasy this year that just blew me away. Um, and I'm not much of a fantasy reader most of the time. Um, and it's been kind of kind of a coincidence, but also glorious that every single one of them was by a woman. Um and um, I have no idea where I was going with that line of thought. Now. <laughs> no, no, I I'm kind of in the same boat as Shane. That I'm I wasn't very familiar with fantasy, but I really enjoyed this book. And you know, I could be just proving like my ignorance, I guess, with the genre. But like when I when I've only read like you know Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, but when I think fantasy, I think like you know huge books and you know they spend a lot of time building things up. But what I liked about your book is that it was like it was a novella, and you were still able to get that same you know sweeping you know creating the world of like I think it's uh, Titus, correct? Um, just how you were able to just how you were able to you know build up that world and build up those characters 
you know, in such a small space. Like, I didn't even know if, like I said, I'm new to fantasy. I didn't normally read it before, but it just seems like it's a lot harder to try and build those sorts of worlds with their own built-in rules in such a small contained, you know, format. And I was wondering, you know, how was that process for you? Was it easy? Was it difficult? Yeah, I think it's, it's, um, it is both hard and yet at the same time, like uh, it's just building blocks on top of each other. And I think the, the benefit of, um, you know, the success of a game of Thrones or a Lord of the Rings is that there's a way that you can sort of play with what people already know or what's become like common knowledge, even if people don't know the the genre very well. Um, right. That like you just sort of understand this like, yeah, people take over a country and then there's one chosen ruler. And yeah, you have to describe the world itself. But um, you, you kind of get that basic premise and there's there's a little less uh, work to do that piece of it. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. And, um, you know, another thing that I thought was really cool was kind of, you know, how you how you were able to kind of tackle like big issues that, you know, we see in society today to kind of, you know, the whole, you know, struggle of, you know, what some of these rulers had done in the past and kind of the way they had, you know, treated the people that lived in Titus. And I thought you weave that in in a nice organic way. And this is totally not related, but I thought the elemental stuff was really cool, especially with like the mages. And I thought that the bone mages in particular were pretty badass. Yeah, bone mages are my favorite. This is probably why Mercy is my favorite character, that like ability to manipulate someone's inner body with with no control on their part is just yeah. cool if I do say so myself <laughs> yeah I thought it was awesome <laughs> yeah I, I definitely like Mercy she's she's a very cool character and I feel like that I feel like that is not an element that I've seen in fantasy before um so so mm-hmm. yeah that was really cool I've I just I feel like it was I've I've read um some fantasy and uh like Rich I was just really impressed because I feel like you know, when you look at, when you look at the length of it, you're like, well, how, you know, but there's just, mm-hmm. there's no exposition really. It's just an immediately like you're, you're just there and it just, you know, it's very brushstroke and it's, it's really, it's very perfectly done. So it was really, really enjoyable. And I just absolutely love all of the kick-ass female characters. So just a, just an absolutely fantastic cast. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I generally try and write really queer, really black very uh female oriented things and um this is no different <laughs> this is this is a, absolutely <laughs> all of that um and but what's awesome about that too though is that those things aren't the story those things are just pieces of the story they're aspects of the story but um just you you know what i mean um mm-hmm. you, you didn't the narrative isn't about them being queer or about them being black or you know those are just things that are about these characters yeah it's the fun of getting to play in secondary worlds that like you you can kind of do whatever you want and um what i always want is a female-led world with uh lots of queer folks and lots of black folks thriving and surviving and seeking their own joy uh wouldn't that be fucking glorious (laughs) 
I'm holding out hope. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. And well, this may uh, probably drives you crazy to already hear this. Um, And you may not be able to say, but is this a world that you see yourself expanding on? Uh, It's funny. Somebody else asked me the same thing. And I think it's, I think no is the answer. It might have been my partner even that she was like, but I want to know what happens next. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like, so this uh, novella started for me from this little prompt that was like mashup Game of Thrones and um, The Broken Earth um, by N.K. Jemisin. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, Here's this little tiny slip of a moment and that sort of led me to Odessa and to um Aaliyah and wondering then right like what happens after they won that that moment I wrote for that prompt was they won they beat the king now what and I feel like I kind of know now what (laughs) is there more we could explore there yeah but I don't need to that wasn't the question I was asking. Exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care about what else she's doing. She got it. <laughs> gotcha. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things that's kind of beautiful about it, though. It's like it, it is an absolutely contained story, um, you know, just very satisfying and really well paced, very tightly done. And it's one of those things where if you came out in a month and said, yeah, just kidding. I'm writing like this epic thing. I would be immediately on board for it. But, but I mean, it does, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't leave you feeling like the story is untold. So. Yeah, but I should, you're, you're right. I should leave the door open. It's never say never. Though probably I, never. <laughs> <laughs> I have learned that anytime I say absolutely never on air, I immediately have to turn around and do it. So yeah, yeah, that that word is banned on ink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only swear word you won't have is what Absolutely I'm not. <laughs> it's the most offensive thing we've ever heard. <laughs> so well, really, uh, yeah, go ahead, Shane. Oh no, you you first. No, I was actually just gonna say I think it's interesting that this uh, that Neon Hiblock is like is putting you know there's such a there's such a difference there's such a variety of stories that are being told here um you know so i just was going to use that to segue to caitlin's but shane if you had a smoother segue that is perfectly fine <laughs> well i was just about to say caitlin tell us about your book so you sounded a lot fucking better than i did <laughs> so um yellow jessamine is about a very paranoid and misanthropic a noblewoman named Evelyn who also happens to run a shipping empire in a dying dying city. Um, And despite the fact that everything around her seems to be dying and going away, she's kind of at the top of her game. And then something shows up on one of her ships that is oddly focused on her. Um, Some people have pointed out to me since everything is, you know, has been happening with COVID that in fact it is a plague narrative, but it's not your normal plague narrative. Um, it's not people who are sick so much as it's a plague of possession almost. Um, and so the book focuses on Evelyn trying to figure out what's going on, why it involves her and mostly trying to hide from it and, um, not being able to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's delicious. Yes. Uh, 
sorry, that's just that's the first word that came to mind when I read that book. Um, and there's so many different things to talk about. It's hard to figure out an inroad to that one. Um, when you're when you are writing, and this is one I'll I'll ask Ebony to answer too because I do, I don't know if it has been touched on, and I'm stupid. Um, did you go? Do you go into your works thinking I'm going to write a dark fantasy or I'm going to write horror or? Yeah, in this case, I did. Um, usually, by the time I start writing, I, I know roughly what kind of story it's going to be. Um, in this case, I knew even more than normal because Evelyn is a character that has been bouncing around my head since I was a really angsty, edgy teenager. Um, and I could never really find a story for her because she's not a particularly active protagonist. She doesn't go on adventures. Um, and then after The Luminous Dead, you know, my, my brain had sort of been recalibrated for writing horror instead of adventure stories. And I was like, you know what? Evelyn's a fantastic character to torture with something horrific. And um, I knew I wanted to write a novella because at the time I didn't want to get into anything big. And I kind of looked at how many words are going to a novella. And I was like, well, normally my scenes are X number of words long. And I was like, okay, that gives me 20 scenes. What can I do in 20 scenes? <laughs> and it was, it, felt, it, it was a weird hybrid of being very mechanical and also very organic. Because when I started plotting it out, I didn't go in order. I was just like, okay, this is a really cool scene. This would look, re this would like, if this were in a movie, it would look super cool. And I think it'll probably happen around like the, sec the second third of this book um, or the last third of this book. And then I would figure out how to get in between the cool scenes with other cool scenes. Um, <laughs> it's like, what's the cool, what's the most, what's the freakiest way I can get from point A to point B. And by the, by the time we're finished with point B, Evelyn is just absolutely terrified and wants to lock herself in her house. And then that's only the start of things. Um, uh, yeah. I wanted to lock myself in a house after reading that book for a while. <laughs> and I mean that in the best of ways. I, I truly, truly do. Um, damn good book. But It I'm helps if you don't have live-in servants. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. You actually live yes. alone. Like, you know, if, if Evelyn weren't, you know... Uh, didn't have all this inherited wealth and this sense of where she is in the social hierarchy and maybe she lived on her own yeah. as opposed to having a staff. Uh, right. I think things might have turned out differently for her. Uh, but, she, um, yeah, she needed to start yeah. fucking social distancing immediately. <laughs> as soon as she walked off that boat, every, yeah. you're all fired. <laughs> well, did you, I, I know like just from kind of Twitter stalking you sometimes that you, you know, you do kind of a lot of uh, pinpoint kind of research on this. So did you, was this in, in the kind of um, herbal, uh, I don't know a good way to describe it, but the, the elements that are in there that kind of make up what Eleanor is into was, were those the kind of things did, did you already know much about that? Was that something that you just added on separate and started researching? So Way back when I was an angsty teenager, um, and I came up with Evelyn, and I don't remember how I got to this point, but I, I decided that she liked poisons. Um, and when I was doing my research, I came across this website that is, I think it's just literally botanical.com, and it's a, it's been around since the mid-2000s, and it is a um, 
a, vir- a, a, a digital version of a particular herbal compendium from the 1930s, which happens to have a very thorough section on poisons. Um, and as a 14, 15 year old, I was like, ooh, this is gross and cool. And, you know, reading about how each poison would kill you and all this stuff. Um, and the poison that I, I landed on associating with Evelyn, and which is still associated with her and is where the title comes from and is what she's holding on the cover is um, at Gelsemium Sempervirens, which I say that like I took six, six years of Latin because I did. <laughs> Apparently that's not how you pronounce it. I think it's actually Gelsemium which I can't get myself to say, aside from telling the story. Um, but so Gelsemium is this really fascinating plant. It is the, turns out it's the state flower of South Carolina. Um, very, very pretty, great for landscaping, except it is highly toxic. And it looks just like honeysuckle. So if a kid eats it like it's honeysuckle, that kid might die. <laughs> it's, a, it's a known problem with children eating Gelsemium. Um that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and I think, but I think that's what captured my imagination because, you know, it it was such a it was a poison I'd never heard of because you know I'd heard of Deadly Nightshade because I watched The Nightmare Before Christmas, and I'd heard of Foxglove, and I'd heard of um, probably I I think I'd heard of Aconite even by then. Um, all of these, you know, very sinister. And I've heard of, you know, poisonous mushrooms. These are all very sinister. I never heard of this, you know, very lovely yellow ornamental flower um, that not only is deceptively um, benign looking, it also doesn't kick in for like six to eight hours, which is a long time. So it's not like your kid eats it in the garden and then they immediately start having symptoms. It's they eat it in the garden and then that night they stop breathing, yeah. which is terrifying. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. That's because it's a, like too late. Yeah. It's too late. Then it's already all in your system. You're not exactly. pumping anybody's stomach. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, you know, I, I did additional research to fill in what else Evelyn might have been growing, what might, what she might have in her garden. Um, and that extended then into medicines because, you know, a lot of these poisons, at least in the 1930s and before, also had medicinal usages. Um, it just depends on the dose. So gelsemium is great for slowing breathing if you get the dosage right. If you get, I mean, it's great at slowing breathing regardless of the dosage, but if you slow it too much, of course you die. And um, like foxglove, digitalis, uh, was used to treat um, uh, heart problems for a long time. And again, take just a little bit of it, great. Take too much of it, okay, you have a heart attack and you die. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, it, was, it, it was sort of a very organic growing of kind of spidering out of the implications of someone who focuses purely on botanical herbal things as opposed to like arsenic or lead or mercury or something like that. Nice. Well, I can really see how picking up something like that would really just sort of like pull your imagination forward on it. And also I'm never going back to South Carolina um, <laughs> and uh, I'm getting one of those leashes for my kid. So that's where we are with that. <laughs> Luckily, I, I did not self, see... Don't eat the honeysuckle. Yeah, I didn't see any in the garden store. Um, although I was, I had to be super like, 
we brought home a plant and then I kind of looked at it and went, wait a minute, that looks familiar. <laughs> I had to look it up and hopefully it is just another. So yellow jessamine is one of its common names, yellow jessamine, depending on how you pronounce it, which is related to yellow or it's another name is yellow jasmine. So pretty much every plant that looks like jasmine but isn't jasmine makes me like I'm always like oh my god is it that that it and no there are like eight plants <laughs> we just we have like a almost a wall of honeysuckle in my backyard and now I'm probably going to go burn it down just in case <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> honeysuckle is a bush gelsemium is a is a vine that grows on other plants Okay. When so you start you can, getting like, DMs from me, like panicked DMs, like what is this case? You could put your flamethrower away. <laughs> Laurel's Laurel's sending photos of errant weeds to Caitlin. <laughs> is this a poison? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is this is good horror though. It makes us afraid of things that were that we always considered to be innocuous. <laughs> but really, when you think about that premise of, of poisons, you know, I mean, you know, granted, like you say, she's using them for medicines. But when you think about the premise, the one thing that you're just utterly, utterly helpless against if you if someone assassinates you that way is poison. Yeah. You know, and it's like. Oh, it just horrifies me anytime I think about that. Yeah, and there's there's a fun um, there are a couple of through lines that sort of were not not consciously intended, but ha, but if you know, that clearly sort of came up when I was writing this. Um, one is just sort of the idea of of the witch, especially the witch who lives alone on the house, the creepy house. Um, you know, she uh, Evelyn is not someone who thinks of herself as a witch or who does any kind of magic. But she does make potions, um, and she does use those potions to work her will upon the world. And so there's this interesting interplay of, you know, in a, in, in in another narrative, you know, she might be termed a witch, and she might be treated like a witch. But in this, it's just sort of around the edges. And then the other thing is just that the long history of, you know, black widows, of women who kill for insurance money or because they just really hate their husband or whatever, um, usually weapon of choice is poison. Granted, it's usually um, arsenic in the form of rough on rats. <laughs> but, you know, especially with Evelyn wearing, you know, black morning clothes and wearing a black veil all the time, there's that element of it, too. And it also looks pretty witchy as well. Yes, if I, if I can if I can finagle wearing black lace... At some point in my life, I'm going to I'm going to work on that because that's pretty fantastic. But well, that is that's go ahead, Shane. No, no. I I was was honestly just going to say that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to make a smart ass comment about all the boys shutting their mouths when black lace comes up. (laughs) 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 Nope, I got nothing to say there. Well, uh, one thing, too, um, kind of that ties into both, like, um, you know, in fantasy, it's not really a set uh, determined, um, you know, like time frame, like it kind of has that feel of, you know, like in the past. 
And then um, with Yellow Jessamine, I think I had read that you said this was around like the 1700s, Caitlin. Yeah, yeah. Not quite Victorian yet. Yeah, so like I was just wondering, you know, how how do you kind of like get into that mindset, like uh, both you and Ebony, like kind of creating these worlds that are kind of different from our own? Do you have to do like a lot of research in that to try and like get the things right? Or do you take a lot of liberties with that? Um, I took a fair amount of liberties. I, I kind of determine my settings based on what kind of technology I want available to my characters. So, you know, this is clearly a time of, um, you know, wooden ships with, with sails. And I didn't want there to be gas lighting. I wanted there to be just, you know, candles and fires and, and nothing and not much else. But I played with it too, because, you know, I had this idea of what Evelyn looked like and what she was wearing, um, which is very late 1800s. Um, but, at, you know, it is fantasy, so I can just kind of make it up and, and make it fit how I want it to feel. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I almost never do research, even though I probably should, because that that might improve what I'm doing, because it would make more sense. Um, but the, the benefit of sort of making up the world itself is that uh, I can take what I like and get rid of the rest, right? So, like... Yeah. Yes, it, they live in a kingdom or a queendom, depending on, on when you're looking. But um, otherwise, like the structures feel like similar, but not exactly the same. Um, and I just sort of tried to play with, right, like what could you have? Um, and that would make sense for, right, to Caitlin's point about like, wh- what are they using? What are the tools they have? Um, and what, what do I want them to have access to? Not guns, but staffs in this case. So actually, Ebony, I have a I have a question or or the dreaded. It's it's not really a question. It's more like a comment. I really loved your the way you wrote dialogue because oh. I feel like other authors might have been like, well, it's ye old fantasy world, so I'm going to have to make them talk like I you know I imagine people talk in in you know European or or anywhere you know old timey talk, and you didn't do that. And um, you know, I guess is that just I wonder where that that impulse came from because it's really really cool and very powerful. Yeah, totally drawn on from um, Kaya Shanti Wilson's work in um, Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps and is it Wild Honey the second one? I think it's Wild Honey, but I might be wrong about that. Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps for sure, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think it's Wild Honey. Um, and he essentially uses um, fairly like fairly um, uh, one-to-one um, American, African-American vernacular um, English as his like language, both in dialogue, well, primarily in dialogue. And I kind of wanted to play with that as well of like keeping, you know, like what's the way that folks I know, ta- the way folks I know talk and sort of playing with that trope of, um, yeah, this is yield uh fantasy land um and maybe it is but that doesn't mean it sounds the way uh, european um yield fantasy would sound i love that term ye old fantasy <laughs> <laughs> um so when i know uh just kind of from kind of um taking a look around so you you write speculative 
of fiction. And I'm not sure whether that when you define that, does is that do you primarily lean towards a fantasy element like this or is that um, is this kind of new for you or or what what do you prefer to delve into? Um, yeah, I probably write across the board fantasy. Um, and when I say that, what I mean is like um, this like high fantasy esque that is stone and steel. But I write like I've, I've written an urban fantasy, and I, I will write a, like a lot in our sort of world with magical elements. Um, and then I've played a little bit in space. I'm always trying to get closer to space that it doesn't really want me to get closer to it. Um, so I, I try and be um, a little bit all over the place. And that's why I think speculative fiction makes more sense to say, because you just never know uh, what I'm going to do. And I like it that way. That is like everything that you just named sounded even more exciting than the last thing that you just <laughs> said. It's like... That is great. Oh, yeah. So when you, when you say you've written an urban fantasy, is this something that it was a short story or is this something unpublished or? Yeah. So I uh, have a published short story, um, which is called Birds of the Feather. That was in Anathema. Um, and that world that that short story is written in is um, the world of my unpublished uh, novel, which is um, about a family of demon hunters who are, you know, just trying to survive the apocalypse as driven by their um, grandmother and her lover, Angel uh, Boyfriend. That sounds amazing. Did you, did you happen to participate in pit mat or anything? Cause I'm like, you know, I, I would love to see that kind of uh, shopped basically, but yeah, that, that sounds very, very cool. And definitely very across the board. You're right. Trying to pigeonhole <laughs> any of that would be um, blasphemous, I think. So, but I want to read it. Same. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Are you, you Someday. think you're ever going to do um, space opera or space fantasy? Because I feel like that's that's the less intimidating approach to space because I agree space is terrifying and does not like I want it. And I kind of got there with the luminous dead, but not really. Yeah, I'm trying right now. I'm I'm, one of my works in progress is um, what I am calling a like space academy novel. Um, which has uh, folks traveling into space. The goal is that they'll get into space at some point. So far, we are just on the ground learning the basics of the rules. <laughs> that's relatable. <laughs> I can't really <laughs> see that. Well, that's, uh, that's, that is very, very cool. Um, I'm very excited about all of that. So I'll, I'll, probably, I'll be Twitter stalking you too. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I already I'm am. I'm happy to have more stalkers, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I already am. I I started stalking her when I start, when I first emailed her. It just seemed like the right thing to do. <laughs> That's Twitter etiquette, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Always appropriate. Absolutely. As long as you're not at my house, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all of yeah. the opinion that you don't answer the door to anyone who didn't get permission to come over first, and right. That includes my mom, so. Definitely. Uh, same here. Hi, son. Call next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so nice to see your face through this yeah. hole. <laughs> <laughs> this is forgetting. 
Oh, I was looking at the wrong notes. I just about asked Caitlin about a werewolf. She'd be going, what the fuck are you on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's ask Caitlin about werewolves, and we haven't covered that yet. Yeah, sure. So, Caitlin. (laughs) Um, I was going to say, let's... I wanted to um, talk a little bit about uh, your approach to, um, sorry, I'm terrible with names, Evelyn's um, Evel- Evelyn's uh, identity as far as her, you know, her sexuality and, mm-hmm. you know, um, you took a really, really, really subtle approach there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Evelyn is by nature and kind of, crucially to the story, really bad at intimacy mm-hmm. and extremely bad at trusting anybody, including herself, but definitely everyone outside of herself. Um, and so she hasn't really ever had a chance or a reason to explore, you know, if she were going to be in an intimate relationship with somebody, whatever form that would take, who it would be. Um, and it's slight spoiler, but, you know, over the course of the book, she sort of realizes that she's already in a long-term partnership <laughs> with her assistant, uh, Violetta, who, you know, she's kind of always assumed that Violetta is sort of putting up with her oddness and her weirdness, but no, Violetta legitimately wants to be there. Um, and so it's kind of, a, it's, it's a tragedy in that it's very, um, late awakening <laughs> both in terms of the point in the plot where it happens and also in terms of Evelyn's life but um it's it's a very powerful moment of you know even though it's not you know this a sweeping romance or even you know a stolen kiss somewhere of oh I can be loved by somebody and it's and I can be loved by somebody who I also care very deeply about um and and yeah, that sort of came about fairly organically during the writing process. And it's something that I, I then tried to expand on every time I was revising it, because when I first wrote Violetta, she was kind of there just to be the sidekick, um, be in some ways Evelyn's conscience and be a foil to Evelyn's darkness. And the more I wanted to explore the side of, of Evelyn and her relationship, I, the more I realized that Violetta really needed to be able to stand on her own, even if, um, because we're seeing the story through Evelyn's eyes, Evelyn doesn't always notice that. Um, so Violetta started really evolving in terms of how much she pushed back against Evelyn and how much, um, back and forth was really obvious about how Evelyn sort of chooses to behave often because of her. So. Yeah. Cause she's Violetta had a, chilling willingness to get the job done no matter what it took yeah Um, there's a particular point sort of late in the book where even evelyn's like oh my god yeah exactly (laughs) but it was a it was a heartbreaking dynamic too because once it started dawning on the reader at least me you know maybe i'm a latecomer because i'm like i said stupid um not really i'm not stupid um, I was about, to, about to counter that. Stop, stop talking uh, down about yourself. Argue, arguing with myself. I'm not stupid. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I also distracted myself enough not to know what the hell I was in the process of asking. Heartbreaking me. dynamic. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that it starts? It started dawning on me, you know, shortly before it started dawning on Evelyn, really. You know. <laughs> that, yeah. That that was the case, and it was like. 
Oh, and then, you know, obviously I'm not going to say anything more about where it goes from there. It's but... a horror story and a tragedy, so it doesn't yeah. it doesn't go to a happy ending. Yeah, there's there is there's no sunshine and butterflies at the end of this. But, uh, I do want to make clear to anybody listening, though, it, it it's not a, an unhappy ending because of Evelyn's um, identity or anything like that. It's a it's a not happy ending because of Evelyn's actions yeah <laughs> and yes. inactions and various things so um it's yeah i've i have an essay actually going up sometime next week i think on, on the 9th um that's specifically about um writing a character like evelyn who is so bad at trust and letting other people in and how that was a, a very personal thing to write, but also a very tricky thing to write because, you know, I, I simultaneously wanted to save her from herself and not actually make it cause problems. And also I wanted, you know, I had to resist the urge to punish her for it instead of letting there be sort of a, I, I like to think that I got to a point with the story that by the end, Evelyn can actually see who she is, which she has not been able to see clearly for most of her life. Yeah. And, and, and as, yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but it's, it's not a punishment. It's more of just a, a natural consequence of the way, you know, the steps that she takes and the decisions that she makes. Um, so that's, and, and I really, I, I, I like that relationship too. And I like that it's not, it's not heavy handed in the sense of like the, you know, the, the trust issues or anything like I don't know. Sometimes you run across these really like cliche heroines. It's like, I'm so afraid to love because I've been harmed. And then, you know, it's, it's like, it's just not, it's not a thing that she thinks about that much. You know, it's not something that's like this large, uh, you know, looming. She just doesn't even really think about that element of life. So I've, I feel like that just, that became really, you know, just an organic part of her character. And actually, I just read uh, Ebony. I just read, finished reading Stone and Steel recently, and so um, some relationships in there are still on my mind. Um, and I, it's I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this so as not to be a spoiler. But you kind of also deal with relationships that have sort of changed while people weren't looking. Yeah, yeah, entirely. I think that's what happens when you, uh, you know, run across a continent uh, trying to do the right thing. And then you come home and people are not exactly what you expected them to be. Um, you know, whether from their own choosing or because, you know, they just didn't know what to expect. Although I think Odessa would say she's getting what she deserves. Um, so maybe not at the end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but but it is all about how relationships shift and change when uh, you put a little pressure on them, or a lot of pressure, if you're Aaliyah, unfortunately. <laughs> and it's but there's such a there's such a range of of relationship types there too, and just like different types of love and loyalty, um, you know, and just friendships and family. I I really just liked the exploration, you know, of all of that because because there's a lot that Aaliyah has created um, a lot that she's built uh, in the way of relationships that is, it's just really, um, I don't know. It's there's, there's a lot going on there. That's really 
that really adds to it, I think, quite a bit. Because it is, it's, I mean, it's fantasy and there's a lot going on. It's, it's plot driven, but it's also very character driven, which is, which is really enjoyable. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there, Laurel. Um, that's kind of one of the things that I, I noticed is that, and I think that's why, because like I said, I haven't read a lot of fantasy, but I think that's why I was drawn so much to your book, Ebony, was, you know, for all of the cool stuff, you know, like the elementals, like mages and stuff like that, I think what really made it stand out was those relationships and not necessarily just like the romantic ones, but there's, you know, friendships in there and even kind of familial relationships. And each one I felt was handled really well. And I think that's kind of what made this such a good novella. Thank you. Yeah, the ties are are incredibly important. And I always think about the, the way I think about story is often from relationships. And so there is a way like you start off with um, our same our, our major romantic relationship. But Aaliyah's life is about crew and sort of like she um, she's an orphan. So she didn't have her parents necessarily, but she built a family around her of other folks. Um, and has, is constantly sort of collecting new people to join that little family in the, in whatever way they choose. Um, but people are incredibly loyal to her and they trust her probably because uh, she is true to her word um, and incredibly loyal herself. And I think that's makes her a fun character to write, even if she's struggling and even as she's like trying to decide, you know, how to move forward Um because she's such a loyal character, even when she doesn't get it right, uh, she she engenders a lot of that same loyalty from other people. Definitely. Yeah. And that's I mean, I feel like that, of course, is, is a central element there. Um, but again, it's just a, it's a really cool, very earned aspect of her character. She's she's she is a great main character. I really like Aaliyah. Yeah, she's she's one of the most, um, I guess, earnest and like you said, loyal and duty driven, but not in a way that like it is all of her, but it doesn't overwhelm her in terms of like, you know, because she's not just like, you know, a paladin who is all duty. It She's still very much herself. But yeah, I, I feel like I haven't read a protagonist like her in a long time where I also just have a great deal of faith in her and her judgment and her kind of core instinct to be good to other people. Um, Thank you. Okay, sorry, everybody's. Uh, we're, we're having like um, awkward silence after awkward silence because uh, we keep leaving these gaps waiting for somebody else to talk to one of you guys. But <laughs> that's totally our fault. It's better than talking <laughs> over each other. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, Laurel and I like to do that a lot. It's... <laughs> um, and distracted myself again. I apologize. I, I thought we were talking, I thought we were going to talk about werewolves at some point, and I was very excited. Well, <laughs> we can definitely yeah. talk werewolves. <laughs> do you like werewolves, Caitlin? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, if have any of you read Out of Salem? No, I'm gonna read it down though. <laughs> yeah, it is a fantastic YA novel. Um, I did an event with the author at one point, 
And it is about a um, non-binary kid who wakes up as a zombie, but just kind of has to deal with it. And um, their best friend, who is a, you know, a, a similarly teenaged um, lesbian werewolf who is dealing with that as well. And it's in, a, it's in a world where there are, you know, magical creatures everywhere, but there's been government crackdowns on them. Um, and it's it's set in Salem, Oregon <laughs> in the 90s. Um, super great, super fun. Really great take on werewolves that I really enjoyed. That sounds like super great and fun. <laughs> yeah. I've been Salem in the 90s, so it wasn't super great or fun. No, it's not super great in the book either. <laughs> no. <laughs> Is that like a newer book, Caitlin? Or? Yeah, it came out, um, I want to say, in late April of last year. So right after The Luminous Dead did. Uh, and it's by um, Hal Shrive. And yeah, just absolute fun time. Doesn't really feel like um mainstream YA fiction currently feels like it reminds me a lot of like the middle grade and lower YA that I grew up with but obviously a lot more queer <laughs> um and a lot and yeah it's just it was it really really one of my favorite reads last year I think yeah that sounds cool and how about you Ebony what are your thoughts on werewolves I love a werewolf uh the um Danny Lore and I are always uh they're a a comic writer and a short story writer and all of the fun stuff um we are always talking about werewolves and how much we really want them to just appear in every single thing we can possibly find so we constantly are trading werewolf recommendations back and forth vampires get a little too much play for our liking so <laughs> yeah. i want the resurgence of a werewolf um yeah i do too so we're we're in alignment there i love werewolves everything about them they're my favorite monster other than pumpkin head (laughs) it seemed (laughs) like we were kind of headed that direction maybe for a little bit at first but i don't think it became quite as big as like uh some of us would have liked, but like you had a Wolfland by Jonathan Jans and then Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones. And I think Red Moon by Benjamin Percy. I think the, all three of those were kind of around the same time. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a, I'm in agreement. I wish there, I definitely wish there was more uh, werewolf stuff, especially werewolf films, good ones. Like I've seen, there are some that do kind of the transformation thing really good, and then there's <laughs> there's some others that are not that great. I would argue yeah. that a bad werewolf film is still a good film. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time. I'm very hopeful that Universal will get its shit together and do the rest of the monster movies, even though The Mummy maybe didn't go the way they expected. Yeah, I would I would watch that. Well, and I you know, um I have have you all read uh Hairspray and Switchblades by Violet Castro that came out this year? That is Where Jaguars. Ooh, Ooh. have yeah. not read that. And then Lee yeah. Harlan's um novella that came out this spring from Neon Hemlock has Where Coyotes. Oh, nice. Wow. In a punk battle of the bands. Hell yeah. Also like a cursed chicken. Yes. Oh lots my of, god! Lots of demonic chickens. In the same one. in the same one? 
Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. What is that called again? Queens of Noise. Okay. That's mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part and, of well, and, we got a good read, and now the smile. <laughs> I do highly recommend the other novella, uh, Cradle and Grave, which I just also read, which is some fantastic post-apocalyptic body horror, like. And it's it's in the vein of like a Mad Max or a Borderlands. Nice. Super. Oh yeah, sold. Yeah. Um. Well, with this publisher, yeah, pretty much. If you say Neon Hemlock, now I'm gonna say sold because yeah. Um, you and Ebony and you are the two that I've read so far, but it's stellar in every aspect of the production, from writing all the way down to you know, copy editing. Yeah, I agree with you, Shane. Yep. If if you ha- weren't thinking about it, I would also get the anthology um, that's about to come out. What is Glitter and Ashes, which I, I read recently and is fantastic. End of world, queer stories. Who knows which apocalypse they've all been through, but uh, it's just fantastic. Each and every story is. Yeah, amazing. the subtitle isn't it? Queer stories of a world that wouldn't die. It, absolutely. Which is just the best yeah, subtitle awesome, I've ever man. heard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, my credit card hurts so bad. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a good problem to have. Not that it hurts, but that you're getting all these great books. <laughs> well, that's good you're suffering, Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your ankle's no, still it's, fucked it's always... up? Sure, hope so. <laughs> oh, fucking ankle gate, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I started out quarantined by screwing up my ankle super bad, which was really fun, like, because my two-year-old's at home with me and we're all working from home. So if if I can make things harder, I sure will. But... <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I can walk now though. It was it wasn't fun for a little while. It was I fell down one stair too, like that's just so embarrassing. It was one stair, and they put that on the form at the ER. <laughs> Did the nurses look at you a little, give you a little side eye, like, oh, you're really here for that? Okay. A little, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, I, I was like, did you really have to write one stair? Couldn't you just say stairs, you know? So there's, but anyway, it was just the I, one. I had an emergency room report that said got drunk and fell in the campfire, so. Oh. <laughs> <I beat you. laughs> that one was was accurate, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um and. Yeah, we're digressing the hell out yeah. of this thing now. Yes. <laughs> well, it's okay. Um, last time, last time we went on that long journey about electric lettuce. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. That pl- I still haven't lettuce? gone in there. Oh yeah, it's yeah. this weed shop in Portland. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Which just okay. has the name, electric lettuce. Um, <laughs> it's I was very confused for a moment. <laughs> Are you are you uh, sans legal weed where you're at, Caitlin? No, Chicago, Chicago has it. I haven't gone out to check right any shops here, but Chicago's got legal weed. Right on, right on. That's cool. I wasn't sure about that. It's also got liquor delivery. Um, oh, that okay. Is nice. um, <laughs> I wouldn't I'm, recommend. I'm, 
moving here just, otherwise, but yeah. I just hired a moving truck. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're only here for like two years, and yeah, yeah. There's uh, I do not like the traffic. Traffic is miserable, and parking is miserable. But I wouldn't either. Portland <laughs> needs more people like you anyway, so we'll be back. You gotta come home eventually. We're just here for my my <laughs> husband to do grad school and then. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, probably have to wrap up here pretty quick, but one question I had wanted to run by uh, you, Caitlin, mm-hmm. was um, you and I had a conversation about herbs a while back. <laughs> <laughs> and not the, not the, not the electric That's lettuce. So many, <laughs> so many ways that can go. <laughs> Talking about how much poison I have in my garden? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what about it? <laughs> um, that was something, it was kind of, your answer, because I asked you if you knew a lot about that sort of thing, and your answer kind of surprised me on that at the time. I mean, as far as just, like, cooking herbs and things like that and whatnot. Mm. And, uh, if I'm remembering the conversation right, you said no, but my husband does. Oh, yeah, he's he's a biologist with a, he's been lately specializing in in. Uh, botany. That's awesome. What a research tool. Yeah. I see why you married him now. <laughs> Purely for the poison. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and and, and he uh, he was working on the Oregon coast last fall, and he would just routinely come home with like a three-pound bag of chanterelles. I was like, ah. okay, cool. There are perks. Um, Tell him yeah, there's other I, mushrooms over there you can get too. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I know a little, I probably know more than, you know, your average person, but in terms of identifying stuff just out in the yard and, or like at a, even at a garden store, I'm miserable. I'm just like, oh, it's pretty. <laughs> and then it, and that's how I end up having poison planted right next to my rosemary. And I'm like, oh, maybe do that. <laughs> um, I do know how to grow garlic though, which, which is apparently an arcane art at this point. Um, I, I've, you know, whenever I talk about it, someone's like, oh, I tried to grow garlic and it didn't work. You know, I never, I, I planted a clove and it was just a clove <laughs> later in the, in the year. Um, the trick, if you don't know it, is that, uh, garlic needs to go through at least a couple frosts. So if you're going to plant like grocery store garlic, stick it in the freezer first. Oh, interesting. That's the I trick. It up Otherwise it doesn't turn into a, a bulb. It just stays one clove. Um, then, and then the next winter, if you don't dig it up, it'll become a bulb. But if you're planning, like, usually you're supposed to just plant it in October and then leave it alone until July. Um, but if you want to, if you forget to do it in October and it's February or March, then you stick it in the freezer and then you plant it. Awesome. Yeah. Now I'm going to grow garlic again. <laughs> the nice thing is the squirrels don't try to eat it. I tried to grow butternut squash and they just kept eating the blossoms. And then as soon as the actual little squash started, they would eat that too and didn't get any squash. Uh, terrible. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> squirrels, squirrel lives. Um, uh, squirrels are um, definitely a fucking nuisance here. Rather, sorry. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like we have more squirrels than rats here. Oh, sure. <laughs> I know they're not the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
Rats with better outfits, right? Yeah, that's it. They're, they're, they're better looking rats. Yeah. I have been peed on by a squirrel. And I don't awesome. think I've met anyone else who's had that experience. I don't know why that's... I don't understand things at me. I've not met anyone who's had that experience. But who's admitted to it. Yeah. Was well, just like up in a tree and... Yeah, it's... Was there, we have a giant oak tree that's like over our back deck and like I'm having my coffee and my bare feet and then yeah anyways nice <laughs> like and I'm like what is this I'm like oh my god there's a squirrel standing above me like yeah fuck you yeah right <laughs> yeah, kind of a... like God's like piss in her coffee yeah. <laughs> I was gonna Wait. say at least that didn't happen is it the behest of God now I thought it was just fighting the squirrels <laughs> might well be what the hell <laughs> You can take it. <laughs> since we since we have again veered horribly, of course. Um, I am curious uh, what you all have, you know, coming up next. Ebony, do you know? Uh, are you have you got anything else coming up, or what are what are you looking to pitch next, or what can we look for? Um, nothing exciting. I am constantly at work on this work in progress, the Space Academy thing. Uh, eventually, it'll. And I hope is the goal. Um, but m- mainly my next thing is trying to help support Fiacon. So keep that in mind. Make sure you get your ticket. I feel like there's only like five left or something. So this is a great time to look probably. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. That's yeah, exciting. I will definitely put that put that out to the wind. So um, I, I know that I have a few friends. I'm not sure that if they know about the Fiacon thing, but they would want to. So sign up quick yep excellent and uh caitlin do you know if you have anything coming up or just I've, I've got the death of jane lawrence which is in the final home stretch of edits um probably will finish those this weekend which is coming out next fall the vampire the masquerade thing which came out audio only back in june will be out it looks like late may of next year in paper and ebook um so if you're not an audio person you'll finally be able to read it um, and then, you know, I just, I, I have another project in mind that hasn't sold anywhere, but I get to start working on it in the next week or two. Very cool. Well, it sounds like you, awesome. you ladies both have a lot of very cool stuff going on. Um, and of course, yeah, don't mean to skip over the fact that, you know, your, your launch is actually tomorrow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. It's been, it's been interesting because Amazon apparently decided that it didn't care about release dates. Um, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so there are multiple cool. copies showing ebooks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the ebooks in the audio, and in my case, I have an audiobook. Those aren't out until tomorrow. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I forget. Amazon's so screwed up right now. I forget whose book it was. They said, "Hey, my my new book comes out next week," and then the day after that, it Amazon started selling it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Whichever. Yeah. Well, tomorrow's the day to the party, so we'll just... that's the important yeah, part. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I'll be there. Um, I tell Yay. my listeners to be there, but if you go there, you'll be alone. Um, so. <laughs> By that point, yeah. But what you can do is buy Ebony and Caitlin's books. Ebony's is Stone and Steel. Caitlin's is Yellow Jessamine. Um, and the publisher is Neon Hemlock hemlock pay attention to those guys and if you and if you order directly from neon hemlock's website you also have the option of bundling it with those candles yes 
which you oh, clearly yeah. want to do. Get the candles, but yes. Yes, that way I can make my wife mad by burning it. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever you do, whether you get a candle or not, definitely pick up these books. They were both really, really excellent. We really appreciate uh, you all taking time to come on to talk to us about them. Absolutely. Thank you all. Thanks for having us. This was great. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have you back again soon. Caitlin, this is the second time. Next time we should have you on as a guest host. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You too, Ebony. Ebony I'm, says, I'm, fuck I'm, you. <laughs> <laughs> too late now. I'm never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys rock. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking your time. Um, Caitlin, I assume it's way past your bedtime now. So yes, I'm very, I'm very sleepy. It's 9:30 p.m. How horrible! Yeah, God, <laughs> you should have been in bed an hour ago, young lady. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love you guys. Thank you for being here. All right. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Have Bye. a good night. Is somebody gonna hang the fucking thing? <laughs>